Thank you, Diana. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 in our Bibles this morning. Of course, we've been studying through this book of the Bible, the book of Ephesians. It's only six chapters in length. It's not very long, and we're making our way through it. We looked at the first, oh, the first three chapters, and you remember it was all about what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about uh, the, the wealth that you and I have as believers and how we're, we ought not go through life um, with the attitude of I don't have what I need for what God has set before me. Sometimes we're tempted to do that. Uh, life brings its challenges and for some of us today that's an understatement and uh, life can be difficult. Um, uh, of course Job talked about that and a man is born for adversity it's part of life, um, but the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul goes to, to great lengths to make an emphasis for you and for me to know that you and I have in Christ everything that we need to go through this life. And not just to make it through life, but to go through life victoriously, to go through life in such a way that brings honor to God and glory to God. Now we come to chapter 4, and we're making our way through chapter 4. We'll finish chapter 4 today. And uh, really now Paul begins to make application to our lives. And remember, he's writing to a local church there in Ephesus. Uh, We are a local church here in Flushing, and what he wrote to them applies to us. It's written for us. And uh, he's saying now, okay, now that you have everything that you need in the Lord Jesus Christ, um, this is how it needs to affect how you live your life on an everyday basis. This is how... What Christ has provided for you needs to affect your marriage. This is how it needs to affect your children. And children, this is how it ought to affect you. He's actually going to talk to children as he goes through this book of the Bible in Ephesians, the latter parts. He talks to us about a church. Church, this is how all that Christ has given to you, this is how it ought to affect you. And that's really the emphasis here in chapter 4. He's talking to the church and he's talking to them about being unified. He's talking about being united. What is it that unites us as a church? What is it that unites us as a church? I mean, we've got young and old. We've got uh, some who uh, might be very healthy and others who are not so healthy. We've got maybe some who are wealthier and some who you say, I don't have hardly anything. I'm just barely making it financially. Um, so what is it that unites us? We've got some who ride Harleys and some who ride Hondas, you know, I mean, what unites us? And the answer is Jesus Christ and the salvation that you and I have through Christ. I I love the song that was just sung, the glorious love of God divine, that God would send his son to die for you and for me, a sinner. And isn't that true for all of us? We all deserve death and hell. We were all born into this world a sinner, deserving eternal fire and condemnation, and God so loved us. He loved the world to save us. And so it doesn't matter if you ride a Honda or a Harley or whether you're rich or poor or what your background was. It matters only that you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And I love the Bible and I love God because he loved us. And we gather together and we're united by the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. Oftentimes when we, when we think about the salvation that we have through Christ, we think of Christ, and we should. We think of his death on the cross. 
We think of him hanging there, um, his father turning his back on him, judging him, judging our sin upon him that day. And then we think of Christ being raised from the dead, rising from the dead. And we ought to think of Christ, but there's an emphasis here in chapter 4 upon the Holy Spirit. And when we think of our salvation, we don't often think of the Holy Spirit. And we should. We're wrong if we don't. The Holy Spirit has played a very, very important in our salvation from death and hell. But he really plays an incredibly important part in our lives after we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. The Bible has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit drew us to Christ, to salvation. Uh, The Bible teaches us that the sacrifice that Christ made for us, dying in our place, would not be enjoyed by us if it were not for the Holy Spirit of God. We are born of the Holy Spirit. Born again, the Bible says. Remember Christ told Nicodemus that. Ye must be born again. Born again of the Holy Spirit is what he was talking about. So we were born of the Holy Spirit at salvation. And after salvation, it's the Holy Spirit of God who seals us under the day of redemption. Aren't you glad that if you're saved, you can be glad that you're sealed? Uh, In other words, preserved. Uh, In other words, a person can't lose their salvation once they're saved. Um, We make bad decisions sometimes. We, We walk in the flesh sometimes. Um, but, but you know what? Once you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit is the down payment. God uses that kind of terminology. That he's the, Holy, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of God's salvation. He's the guarantee that God's going to do what he said he was going to do in saving your soul and mine from death and hell forever and ever. And so the Holy Spirit plays this very important role in our lives. He indwells us. When, when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, when you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you were saved, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your spirit, within your spirit. Your spirit was dead, and now it became alive. And the Holy Spirit it lives within us, and from that place within us, He convicts us of sin. Sometimes when we come to church and we sit down and we hear the Word of God preached, we're convicted, aren't we? This morning in Sunday school, I wasn't teaching, and I sat in on a class, and as the teacher was teaching, there was some conviction in my heart. That's a good thing. But you know what? We also feel conviction even when we're outside of the church, the gathering together of the church. And you know why that is? Because if you're saved, the Holy Spirit never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He never forsakes me. And so you and I can be out working on a job or working out in the backyard or playing with the kids or maybe you're selling something or buying something and and the holy spirit from within us he convicts us there's a very intimate relationship between you and the holy spirit he convicts us of sin the bible teaches us it, it tells us that the holy spirit teaches us now i can stand and i can preach the word of god and i can teach it but if you don't have the holy spirit living within you to apply it to your life what I'm saying isn't going to make a whole lot of sense. When you read the Bible, if, if, if you don't have the Holy Spirit living within you, it's going to be pretty confusing. You see, it's the Holy Spirit within us. When you're sitting there and the Word of God is preached and you go, oh yeah, that's what that means. I need that. Or 
I haven't done that or I'm not doing what is right. And that, you know, you know what that is? You know what just happened? The Holy Spirit is teaching you. And it's a wonderful thing. Every time I preach the word of God to you, oh, I don't know, there are over 200 people in this room. And you know what? If you're saved, the Holy Spirit is working in everybody's heart, giving you exactly what you need. There are some here this morning who are hurting. There are some here this morning, and they had a great week. They're doing great. There's some here this morning, and maybe there's some unconfessed sin in your life. And you know what the Holy Spirit does? He does what I could never do. And he literally teaches you and me the Word of God. So he's teaching us. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit of God strengthens us. And Paul, you remember, prayed to that end back in chapter 3 and verse number 16. The Holy Spirit strengthens us. He comforts us. He comforts us. He's he's, He's called the Comforter. The Holy Spirit guides us. He he protects us. He equips us. He molds us. He does all of these things from within. You know, when we think of God, we often think of God, our Heavenly Father, who's in heaven on a throne. And Christ, who died on a cross and was raised from the dead and who sits on the right hand of the Father. and, And they're in heaven and we're not. And sometimes we can get the idea that we're alone, but the wonderful thing about a born-again believer is that God, the Holy Spirit, lives within us. And he is absolutely committed to something. He's absolutely committed to something, to accomplishing something in your life and in mine, and in all of our lives corporately, and that is called the unity of the church. It's something God wants. It's something that God is determined to accomplish. It's something that the Holy Spirit, it is the role of the Holy Spirit to to bring us to a place where we're pleasing to the Father and to bring us into unity with one another. Really, the Holy Spirit from within us is working in order that we might bring glory, bring honor to God by doing his will. Look in chapter 4 and verse 1 again and, and be reminded of what this will is and what God desires to accomplish. Beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You remember, we studied those passages, and we're not going to go back. But remember, he tells us, he gives us a command. You need to walk worthy of the vocation, of the calling that God has placed upon your life. And this isn't just for the pastor. This is not just for the deacons. This is for every single one of us. And he says, in order to accomplish it, you're going to have to be humble. And you're going to have to put up with each other a little bit. And you're going to have to endeavor. You have to work toward it. Um, the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit. You see, from within us, the Holy Spirit is working in me, and he's working in you. And when, when you say yes to him, and when I say yes to him, we grow closer together. Does that make sense? We're in unity. He wouldn't disagree with himself. Yeah, but Dave and I disagree. The Holy Spirit would never disagree with himself. And so 
he's working so that we'll have unity together. And we often think the Holy Spirit's working in our lives is a very personal thing, and it is. But the work of the Holy Spirit also is to affect the church. Um, and an assembly of individual believers, when an individual believer says yes to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit leads that person and others into unity. And we talked about this, into stability, into sincerity. I can't emphasize this enough. The unity of the church is incredibly important to God. It's incredibly important to God. It's precious to him. It's precious to him. Look now in Ephesians chapter 4, if you would, in verse number 17. And I'm going to read down through verse number 32, and that'll be our text this morning. Because there's, while Paul has been talking uh, about some positives, now he's going to get into some negatives. He's going to give some warnings to you and to me. Let's look beginning in verse number 17. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. So notice here, in verse 1 he had said, Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. We're to walk a certain way. And now he's saying, Don't walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. You know better. If so be that ye have heard him, heard Christ, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the former manner of life, the old man, which is corrupt, according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. You see what he's after here. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the, sin, the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed under the day of redemption." Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now, the context is unity. And he's going to say, he's going to say, stop lying to each other. And uh, he's going to say, don't steal and he's going to say, um, don't be selfish. He's going to say, forgive each other. And all three of those particular sins that he identifies are in the context of one thought. And it's a very simple thought, and the thought is this. Stop 
hurting the Holy Spirit. Don't hurt him. Now, why would we want to hurt him? Does any of us here want to hurt the Holy Spirit? Um, growing up as a child, I can remember I can remember hurting my parents. You, have you ever done that? Do you remember doing that? Were you ever convicted? It, I can remember it in turn causing me to grieve because I was hurting them. It wasn't the, uh, it wasn't the spanking that I was going to get that hurt me the most. It was the fact that I was hurting the people who loved me so much, more than anybody else in the world. Um, and there's a level of maturity for a child to get to that point when they start saying, you know what, I don't want to hurt my parents. I want to honor my parents. I want to please my parents because I love my parents. Not because I have to, not because they're going to ground me, not because I'm in danger of a spanking, but I want to obey and honor my parents because I know they want what's best for me, and I love them. I love them. Well, the Holy Spirit, God has given him to us. He's a wonderful gift. He lives within us. And he's working to make you and me what he wants us to be. Pleasing to God. He wants to use us to bring unity in the church. He's committed to unity. The unity is of him. And Paul ends this passage by saying, he wants to unify you. For the glory of God, stop grieving him. Don't hurt him. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning. Father, we're all in different places, different ages, different incomes. But Lord, so many in this room have, we've been saved by you, by your Son, Jesus Christ. And you have given unto us your Spirit to live within us, to rule in our hearts, to guide us and to help us through this life, to make us who you want us to be. Father, help us, I pray, to love you the way we ought to love you and to be grateful for what you have given to us and help us to say yes to your Holy Spirit and help us not to hurt him and to grieve him. Father, help us as we study your word this morning, enlighten our thinking. Father, help us lest we go from this place the same way we came in. Lord, may your Holy Spirit accomplish your will in this church. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I guess I could start by asking a question. Do you desire the unity that God desires? That re that's really what it boils down to. Do you desire the unity in the church that God desires? I hope you can see that God desires there to be unity. We're all different. We probably tie our shoelaces differently from each other, right? Um, you know, we have different we have a different tastes and style and and we have different tastes and those sort of things. We come from different eras. I saw a commercial the other day, I think it was from McDonald's, and it was a grandmother, and they were advertising these chicken strips. And uh, and she wanted other time to do other things other than to cook for her family. And so and she was advertising these chicken strips, you know, and how juicy they were. And I'm not advertising McDonald's chicken strips, okay, but she's advertising how juicy they are and, and those sort of things. And, uh, and, and then it showed her doing different things that she wanted to do. And one of those things, she was like in this little club with like eight people there, and, and she was giving a speech, and she said something like this. 
millennials, right? And, they were, and all these elderly folks were like, oh, brother, millennials. And it was just funny, you know, it was just funny. But we have millennials here. We have Generation Y here. We have Generation X here and other generations, right? We have other, the baby boomers. We have all these different generations represented. We come from different eras, different places, different families. We have all these different things. And, uh, and so can there be unity Can there be unity? And the answer is absolutely yes. And the question is, do we desire the unity that God desires? God wants to use us to accomplish his will, and that's unity in the church. But the reality is that not you and I can't be used. I can't be used to help bring unity to the church if I'm not willing to say yes to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings unity. I can stop that. I can say no to him. We've studied another passage before. I think it's in 1 Thessalonians where he's, Paul says, stop quenching the Spirit. Stop extinguishing what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. So I can extinguish what he desires to do. I can also grieve him. Uh, but on the flip side, you and I can say yes to him. We can say yes to him. And if, if we'll say yes to him then God will use you and me to actually bring unity to the church, to build the church that he desires to build. Look back to verse number 30 just briefly, and I want to highlight this verse again. He says in verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. That last part, he has sealed us. He's the guarantee of our salvation. You would think we wouldn't want to hurt him. But the beginning part of the verse is grieve not. And in the Greek uh, um, verbiage, it carries with it the idea, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. It's as if the church at Ephesus already had begun to hurt him. When I think about our church and churches in general, churches have a lifetime Some are older, some are younger. But all churches go through cycles. You know, there are moments, times of growth, there are times of of pruning and purging. There are times of grief and times of joy. There's all these things that a church goes through if you've been a part of a church for any length of time. And I think it's possible for a church to bring joy and pleasure to the Holy Spirit and to please Him. By saying yes to him. I also think it's possible for a church to go through a time of grieving him. And I want to see this morning from this passage, it's very obvious that it's possible for you and for me to grieve him. And when we do, it, it actually erodes the unity. It tears at the foundation of the church. It hurts a church. Now, in the first, uh, first few verses there, of course, you see there that uh, Paul is talking about the unity of the church, our, uh, uh, the, we're to walk worthy, we're to strive for this unity of the church. And then, uh, you remember, we looked at verses 11 and 12 and following, and he's talking again about unity and how he's given some pastors and teachers and evangelists to perfect, to mature the saints, to equip the saints for ministry, all for the point of unifying the church, growing the body of believers. And again, we've got believers that have been saved for 50 years, and some have been saved for six months. Baby believers. And all for the purpose that the church might be edified and grow and be to the glory and praise of God. 
And then we come down to verse number 17, and I'm just going to walk through a couple of these verses as we get started. And Paul really, if I could summarize it in verses 17, 18, and 19, says to us, don't be like the world. Look at verse 17. He says it this way. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. What he's saying there is don't walk, don't live your life like unsaved people. That's what he's saying. Um, An unsaved person doesn't believe in God. Oh, they might say, I believe in God, but they don't live their life like they believe in God, like they're going to be given account to him. They don't live their life like they're going to stand before him someday. In other words, they go through life, they make decisions, and an unsaved person, and I don't blame them for this, they don't know any better, I suppose, but an unsaved person makes purchases without God in mind. An unsaved person sells something, they make plans like God doesn't exist. And Paul's saying, don't don't live your life, uh, don't walk through life as the Gentiles walk through life, in the vanity of their mind. Thinking that they're always right. Um, There needs to be a fear of God. He continues in verse 18. Having the understanding darkened, they don't know the word of God, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Their unbelief, their rejection of the word of God, their rejection of Jesus Christ, because of the blindness of their heart. They're not seeing the truth. And so... He's saying, don't live like an unsaved person lives. Verse number 19, he continues, who being past feeling. What does that mean? Past feeling has the idea of to be calloused or desensitized to sinful things. Now, make make application. We're not going to dwell long here, but think about it. The things that you listen to, the things that you watch, your conversation, the things that you say. Have you, we live in this world, don't we? (laughs) Yes, we do. We live in this world. We hear things. Um, We're around things. But but he's saying, don't allow yourself to get to the point where you're past feeling. You you know, you can't. It's dangerous to be there. If you can't feel something, if you don't have feeling in your fingertips and you're working the table saw, it's dangerous. You might not have any fingers if you keep going like that, right? Right? And so there's danger to be desensitized to sinful things in our world. It has the idea of a seared conscience. So he says, being past feeling, having given themselves over unto lasciviousness. And the word lasciviousness has the idea of all forms of sexual depravity. Now, God created sex, okay? It's a good thing. It's intended for a husband and a wife within the bounds of marriage. Within the bounds of marriage. That's where it's intended for. God created it. It was his idea, not man's, not woman's. It was God's idea. The problem is in our culture today, and it's growing, I'm noticing, sex outside of marriage or interaction with pornographic images, uh, and on and on this could go, outside of the bounds of marriage is lasciviousness. All forms of sexual depravity, unbridled lust, um, sexual shamelessness. And that's what he's talking about. Don't, don't walk or live like the world. And notice he continues there in verse 19, to work all uncleanness. To work all uncleanness with greediness. Uncleanness, uncleanness, uncleanness with 
Uh, Greediness is the endless pursuit of sexual impurity. There are people in our day who are in bondage to this. And I'm not naive enough to think that there are not men and women within this very room today who do not struggle with these things. Now, that's reality. That's reality. And if we'll be honest with ourselves, we can get somewhere. We can start. And and Paul is being very frank here, and he's saying, don't be worldly, church. Don't be worldly. Now, who is it that can help us as believers to overcome this world and to overcome the lust of the flesh? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. In fact, I can say it in uh, uh, an absolute 100% statement. The Holy Spirit of God will help you and me overcome this world. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Paul talks about it, that the lust of the flesh and the, and, and the, and the spirit, they war one against the other. And there's this battle that takes place. That's reality. Uh, parents, you and I ought to be in tune with this. We can't just... Just pretend like it's not there within our own being and and, and, uh, allow our children to grow up and just hope that they don't go through what you and I go through. You and I need to learn by the word of God and the spirit of God and our relationship with God how to overcome these things. We need to to have honest conversations with our children at appropriate times. Uh, Ian, this is what you're going to deal with. These are some things you're going to face. And this is how you can overcome it. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? We need to parent our children that way. We need to edify one another within the church that way. We've got to be honest about these things. Paul's being very frank about it. Notice in verse number 20, he continues, But ye have not so learned Christ. And what he's basically saying there is, you know better. You know better. And I think that's true. It's easy in our world today, if we get away from the Word of God, if we get away from the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, if we withdraw ourselves, if we're, if we're around wrong people, it's easy to get caught up and start to go in a wrong direction. But in our hearts as children of God, we still know this probably isn't right. We still know. And, and Paul says, you know better, you, you've not learned Christ this way. Verse 21, if so be that ye have learned him, if you do know him, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. And he's saying, listen to him, verse 22, that ye put off concerning the former manner of life, the former conversation, um, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Now, what he just described in verse 22 is who we were before we were saved. He calls him by a name. He calls him the old man. And he's going to introduce another thought, and that thought is, there's a new man. The new man is Christ, or Christ-likeness, the Holy Spirit. The old man is this old, wicked flesh, and you and I are still tempted to do wrong, and sometimes we do. It's who we used to be before we were saved. And every one of us who are children of God can choose to go back, and if we want to go back and do the old things that we used to do, you can. But God's word is saying, don't do it. You can do it. I can do it. We can reap the consequences for it. But he's saying, don't do it. Don't go back to those things. Don't go back to thinking that way. Uh, And he's saying, put off the old man. Uh, Paul made the statement, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I die daily. 
In other words, every day when I wake up, I'm going to say, I'm going to say no to the old man. And you know, some of us maybe even should verbalize that. Um, I am, I am not going to do your will flesh. I am not going to do it. The reality is we have to live in light of this truth. You, you and I can live according to the nature of the old man, or we can live, uh, notice in verse 23, according to the new man. He says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I could summarize it this way, start thinking the way God thinks. Now, how can you and I start thinking the way God thinks about things? Right here. If I want to know what God thinks about something, I have to look here. And that's, by the way, why it's so important to be faithful gathering together with God's people, the church. It's so important. To, again, take advantage of Sunday school classes. Take advantage of Sunday morning. Be faithful. Be disciplined in it. Don't miss. Take advantage of Sunday evening services. Sunday evening service, uh, yeah, it takes effort, right? You got home, you were tired, you don't want to... It takes effort, but it's the Word of God. Take advantage of it. Wednesday evening, uh, we have Awana programs for children. Start thinking the way God thinks. Part of the reason that I love Awana for my children is that they're, they're memorizing the way God thinks. Now, that does, that's not a guarantee. I can tell you, my children don't walk around all week perfect saints. And I'm like, well, there, if Awana works for me, it must work for you. You know, everybody, every child here whose kid is in Awana... Uh, they're perfect saints all week, right? That's not true. Uh, but you know what? If they don't know how God thinks, they can't possibly think the way God thinks. And so it start, start thinking the way God thinks. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, verse 24, and that ye put on the new man. Okay, we had to put off the old man in verse 22. Now in verse 24, he's saying, and put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Say yes to the Holy Spirit. And if you will, you will live a God-honoring life. I'm not saying you will never fall. But yeah, I could say it this way. As long as you'll say yes, as long as I'll say yes to the Holy Spirit, he'll never lead us to sin. It's when you and I say no to him that we get into trouble. Some of us are in the habit of saying no to him. Some of us are in the habit of saying no to him. Maybe when it comes to our temper, in, a, in our relationship, maybe even in a marriage relationship, or a, a, a dad to daughter, or dad to son, or mom to daughter, mom to son, parents to children. Some of us as parents are in the, in the bad habit of saying no to the Holy Spirit when it comes time in our family relationships where we're not seeing eye to eye about something. And uh, we fly off the handle. And we treat each other very, in a very ungodly way. Some of us are in the bad habit of using foul language. Oh, not in church. <laughs> but I mean just out in, in the world, in our everyday work week. Hit yourself in the thumb with a hammer and out comes a word. Some of us are just a bad habit. But you can break that habit. You know, I mentioned lasciviousness and uncleanness with greediness, which again, the context and the verbiage actually has the idea of sexual impurity. I'm telling you, it finds its way into the church. And you know, where it's found, be honest about it. Be honest about it. Identify it. This isn't right. This is like the world. This is ungodly. This is not of the Holy Spirit. 
And then you have to start saying yes to the Holy Spirit. And you know what will happen? You might have victory for a day, two, three, then you might fall. And boy, when you fall, it sure is discouraging. When you give in to that wicked temper, it sure is discouraging. But you know what? Confess it. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then accept that forgiveness and cleansing that God gives to you and me justly. Get back up and start saying yes to the Holy Spirit again. Yes, Holy Spirit, I'm going to read your word today. Yes, Holy Spirit, I'm going to pray. Yes, Holy Spirit, I'm going to say no to that temptation. Yes, Holy Spirit, I'm, going to, I'm, not, I'm not going to go ahead and buy that, even though the lust of my flesh wants it so bad. Yes, yes, Holy Spirit. And the more you and I say yes to the Holy Spirit, the further away from ungodliness and flesh living we get. And I'm telling you, the, if you and I will say yes to the Holy Spirit, it's a place of blessing. It's a place of peace. It's a place of righteousness. It is a wonderful place. I want that kind of a home for my kids, where it's a place of peace. Peace is a result of doing what is right. Doing what is right is a result of saying yes to the Holy Spirit. But you know what? If we'll say no to him, unrighteousness does not lead to peace. It can also ultimately lead to resentment and bitterness and it finds its way into our marriages, into our homes, into our church. And it leads to disunity and divisions and destruction. Cindy said something to, the, to me the other day. And, 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 and she, it was just a thought. And I thought it was interesting, an interesting observation. She said, you know, it's interesting that even the world, even the world that is embracing so many things that are anti-God, she says, it's interesting that even the world, they like it when they see a healthy marriage. It, they're a little surprised by it, but even there, they're, they're kind of impressed by it. Like, wow, they, they, they really love each other. They really get along. They even like the, a little bit. I'm not saying all of the world. And I, I agree. I think so. And I, and I thought to myself, you know, it's just sad that so much of the world sees so little of a healthy, godly, God-honoring marriage. If you and I will say yes to the Holy Spirit and we'll put on the new man and we'll say no to the old man, the flesh, it will produce unity. It'll produce unity in your marriage, unity in your family, unity in the local church. Let's continue in verse number, verse number 25. Verse number 25. And now he comes uh, to this section, verses 25 down through verse number 32, where he's actually going to address three particular sins that destroy unity in a church. And we'll cover them, we'll cover them fairly briefly. Um, I'm going to give them to you, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to be done, okay? Um, but let's, let's read through it in verse number 25. I want you to see them, and I want us to dwell on them this week. Verse 25, he says, Wherefore, putting away lying. So lying, dishonesty. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And then he talks about uh, selfishness. Selfishness. Notice in verse 26. Be angry, or, or excuse me, bitterness. Be angry and sin not. Now the, the emphasis, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Because if you do, it's going to lead to bitterness and unforgiveness. 
Neither give place to the devil. When we choose unforgiveness, it gives the devil a, a, a base of operation in our lives. How many, of, how many of you, your family needs the devil to have a base of operation in your family, in your home? You've just been feeling bad, and he, you'd like to give him a base of operation in your home. Are you kidding? Right? Are you kidding? That's the last thing we need. Well, if you and I choose to go through life, and be real practical, if you're going to lose your temper and be angry, and you're going to go to bed angry, it's going to result in some resentment that can lead to bitterness, that can lead to unforgiveness. And when you allow that, you're literally letting the devil establish a base of operation from where he can, he can launch attack after attack after attack into your marriage and into your home. He continues, and now he talks about selfishness. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And he's talking in the context of a local church. Don't, don't take up a position against one another. Don't quarrel with one another. Don't fight with one another. Don't give in to these things. And when he talks about the selfishness, there are two types of selfishness we'll look at next week. One type is we say things that we shouldn't because we want to look good. And the other type of selfishness is I take things, I steal things, so I can have things. And I hurt other people because I'm taking things that they've worked hard to gain. And he says, instead of being selfish, why don't you get a job? And why don't you work hard so that you can give instead? Isn't that great? You see, the Holy Spirit is working in our midst, folks. And this is one of the great consolations that I have as, as your pastor. There are times, and Lord help me to grow in this area, but there are times where I will worry about you. And sometimes I think, not the worry, but the thought of you comes to my mind of the Lord to pray for you. Some of you men, I'll pray for you. Lord, keep him pure in the workplace. Protect his marriage, Lord. Don't let Satan get a hold of his life. Sometimes I'll pray for you with your children. Oh God, help them to see your word. Help them to take, it, take you by what you say and train up their children the way that they go, lest in ten years you and I are mourning over a child that's walked away from God and is living a rebellious life. And we'll get through it if it happens. I'll be faithful to you. I won't leave you. But, uh, but we don't want to see that if we can avoid it, Right? And, and, and these things will cause me, and, and sometimes if I, if I start walking the flesh, it'll cause me to worry. I'll be waking up at all hours of the night worrying about you. But one of the great consolations I have as your pastor is that, you know what? God's working in our lives is not limited to a 45-minute message or 55 or something like that. It's not limited to a sermon on a Sunday morning. It's not limited. God's working in our lives is not limited to when we gather together as a church. That is important. It is important. It is important. But God's working in our lives is not limited to that. 
Because everywhere you go, if you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit of God is in you and he is with you and he is comforting and guarding and teaching and guiding and giving wisdom. As a pastor, that brings me tremendous consolation. This isn't merely my job, but God is accomplishing his will in your life and in mine. Our, Our takeaway from this passage is, Lord, help us to walk worthy of the unity that the Spirit of God is trying to establish. God, help us not to walk the way other Gentiles, the way the world around us is walking. And so the answer is, I want to say yes to the Holy Spirit in my life. On a daily basis, situation by situation, moment by moment, say yes to the Holy Spirit of God. Take your hymnals, if you would. We'll close with a hymn.